Hag kosher ve sameach. Hag pesach sameach to everyone. It is the beginning of the Omer counts per this podcast. And I want to apologize for the episode last week that I posted. The volume was very low, so I had to do a remix and uh, remaster everything down so that uh, the volume could be louder. So Bezar Tashem, that all worked out and wasn't too distorted. So this week I am uh, looking at my levels. They look pretty normal. So Bezar Tashem, they sound great. But I want to just bless everyone with a beautiful Yom Tov that during this week of Pesach that you continue to dominate your Yetzirah through the eating of the matzah and through all of the kedusha that is brought down because this is us headed towards the parting of the Yam Suf, the Sea of Reeds. So beautiful to think about the fact that we have been freed from Mitzrayim, uh, each and every one of us, especially if you sat at the Seder table, if you really took to heart everything that we spoke and everything that we ate, uh, we are free. So with that being said, this is Mashiach Mondays for the week of Pesach. So this week, I really want to focus on the Messiah text, and I want to talk about resurrection because this is the festival that is resurrection. So before I begin, I want to speak this verse. This is the reason why. I always say Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai, and that has been my intent for the bracha before speaking about Mashiach, is that I really want to see him, and this is where the source comes from. It's found in Matthew chapter 23, verse 39, and it's also cross-referenced in Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. And this is what verse 39 says. For I tell you that you will not see me again until you say, Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai, which is from the Hallel, the, the hymns that we sing during Pesach. On the first day of Pesach, we do the full Hallel, but every day for the rest of the festival, we do the half Hallel. So in the Hallel translates to praise. It's the first part of the word hallelujah. So the reason I want to bring this up is when you think about what Yeshua is saying, he's saying you won't see me again until you recite the Hallel. And in particular, possibly even the full Hallel, you know, which would be at the beginning of Pesach. So we know leading up to his death that he told his Talmudim that he would be uh, passing away and he would be buried and he would be away for a few days and then he'd be back. So the thing is, that's that's a very radical thing to tell people that are following you. Just just a side note, you know, you you have people who have literally given up their life uh, they've given up their 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 making of a living. You know, they've given up their livelihood for you. 
and you tell them, well, I'm going to die. And not only that, but the the series of events that will take place is number one, I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to be beaten, and then, uh, you know, I'm going to be killed very gruesomely, and then, you know, I'm going to die, and, you know, I know I'm the Mashiach, and I'm supposed to, you know, have eternal life within me and things like that, but, you know, there's a lot of Midrash that goes into that, but the point being, um, I'm going to die for a little bit and I'll be right back. So it's okay. Don't panic. Now we know that the gospel accounts tell us that the Talmudim were like, yeah, we can't, we don't even know what he's talking about. Like we can't receive this. We can't accept this, you know? Right. So that's going on. So you think about that yourself, right? You're following the Mashiach and he's like, yeah, I'm going to die. And you're just like, but you can't, you're the one who gives life. You resurrected Eliezer like Lazarus. Right. And so like, you're going to die. Like, what is this? You know, the one who heals the sick, who, uh, gives uh, sight to the blind, who makes the, the mute speak, who causes the deaf to hear, you know, causes the lame to walk. You're the one who's going to die. Like, what is this? You calm the wind and the waves, but you can't stop death. Like, what's the dealio? So anyway, uh, that is the Baruch HaBab Hashem Adonai, and it's all connected to Pesach. And one of the things that I want to share, I need to look this up real quick because I did not plan to share it, but it is a... Uh, uh, commentary from Rabbi Trugman Shlita. So he is speaking about the Yikzor on Pesach. So let me just go ahead and read this introduction. It says on four holidays during the year, a special prayer service called Yikzor is recited by those who have had close relatives pass away. As is enumerated in Parsha Amor, I might add, this is just a side note, Parsha Amor in the book of Vayikra, which is the book we're in now, Baruch Hashem, uh, there's a whole section that talks about the close relatives and who the Kohen is allowed to defile himself for. So when they uh when they pass away, so like he can go to their funeral and things like that. So it says this is father, mother, brother, sister, son, daughter, and spouse. So those are your seven who surround you who are the closest ones to you. And it says the word Yixor comes from the root to remember. And thus on these holy days we remember our loved ones. The four holidays are Pesach, Shavuot, Shemini Atzeret, and Yom Kippur. It goes on to say, the first three are connected to the three pilgrimage festivals in the Jewish year, while all four of these days are considered days of joy, despite the fact that it is a day of fasting and spiritual affliction, Yom Kippur, in fact, is actually called one of the two most joyous days of the year, due to the fact that on this day we receive total atonement, 
purification and forgiveness. Mishnah Ta'anit 4.8. So when we're reciting the Yiksor, this is typically during a time of joy, a time of festivity that is going on. So that is a whole nother drosh, but I want to go down to the point about the resurrection and why the Yiksor is recited for Pesach. So he says, however, Pesach, which is the first of the pilgrimage holidays, contains a number of allusions to those who have passed away, and especially the concept of resurrection of the dead, and is therefore also an especially fitting day to recite Yiksor. So resurrection of the dead and Pesach go basically hand in hand. The Medrash on Genesis 22, which is the offering of Isaac, the Akedah is what it's called, that speaks about uh, that, or that, Slika, that timing of that incident or that occurrence was during Pesach. So, Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer brings down that the second blessing of the Shemone Esrei, the Amidah, the standing prayer, the second blessing about Mechayeha Metim, who revives the dead, that blessing was sourced from the Akedah. When Yitzhak was made to stand up alive after he was offered up on the altar, and both he and his father recited, Baruch Atah Adonai Mechayeh Hametim. So that's in Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer. So we have the fact that the only begotten son was offered up on the altar. He was, basically he died and was resurrected. And this is during Pesach. So when Yeshua has his Akedah, because that's what that was, Bereshit Rabbah, and I, I keep forgetting to bring this in here uh, when I podcast, but I think it's a fitting time to do this now. Let's see here. If I can find it. Did I take a picture of my notes? I always mention the uh, the Medrash Rabbah about the Akeda and the crucifixion. And um, I never source it out. Like, read it straight off the page to everybody. So... Let's see what we get here. Don't know if I'll be able to find it, but uh, it does exist. Stand by, everyone. Okay. Baruch Hashem, it is Bereshit Rabbah 56.3. says, And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, Bereshit Genesis 22.6, like one who carries his own stake to be impaled on his shoulder. 
not to be impaled on his shoulder, but like he took, he carries a stake on his shoulder as if he was ready to be impaled. And it says, so, um, yeah. And Abraham took the wood of the offering. And when he placed it on Yitzhak, Yitzhak was basically carrying it like one who carries his own stake in order to be impaled. So he was carrying it on his shoulder is what the text is pointing out here. So just as the heads up on that, um, with the help of Hashem, I would like to read that from the actual uh, section of Medrash Rabbah at some point on this podcast, because uh, that is just one of the crucial things to know is that the Akeda of Yitzhak and the Akeda of Yeshua are basically the only begotten son being offered up by their father. And Hashem already says there's no one like him in all the earth and there's no one like Abraham, you know. So Hashem is saying, you know, just like I am one, Abraham is one. There's no one like him. There's no one like me, you know. And so there's this whole picture of uh, Hashem and Abraham having the, the mirror images. Both of them have an only begotten son that they offer up. And so if Abraham was willing to do it for his son, Hashem was willing to do it for his son kind of thing. So anyway, back on track to where we're trying to go today. So with the Omer count, this is the resurrection of the Mashiach. This is the 16th of Nisan. This would be the third day. And when we look at Mashiach being offered up on the 14th of Nisan and buried on the 14th of Nisan because he was buried before sundown. That's important to know before candle lighting that that was one day. So if anything occurs on the Hebrew calendar within the day before sundown, it's considered one day. Side note, Nisan, the month in, in the, on the Hebrew calendar is known as the Rosh Hashanah for the count of the reign of kings. So a king counts his reign on the yearly cycle from the month of Nisan. Now, if the king came into rulership during the month that precedes Nisan, which would be the month of Adar, so if he began his reign in Adar and Nisan came up, or came up, Slika, then that would count as one year, even though he's only really been in power for a month, maybe a few weeks, give or take. So same thing with the day. So if a woman is going into Nida, she would count the first day she's in Nida. If it was before sundown, that would be day one for her count. And then going from there. So just a note on the three days, this is why it doesn't work out to say Good Friday or things like that, because you're going to throw yourself off with the Gregorian calendar. But on the Hebrew calendar, everything works out just smoothly because you can literally count 14th, 15th, 16th, because he's raised up on the third day. And uh, the third day again coincides with the second day of Pesach. And so that is our counting of the Omer. This is important because this really gets into uh, the letter to the Corinthians. The first one, 
so we say, because we know that Shaul Hashliak wrote to the Corinthians many times, and we only have two of those letters. And the first letter, even the commentators who are honest, they say, well, we don't know if this was the first one or not. Because if you read the first Corinthians, he says, as, as I wrote to you previously, he literally brings that up. But that's neither here nor there for this podcast. But I just want to bring up chapter 15. And it says in verse 12, now, if Mashiach is proclaimed that he has been raised from the dead, how can some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, even Mashiach or not even Mashiach has been raised. And if Mashiach has not been raised, then our proclaiming is meaningless and your faith is also meaningless. Verse 15, moreover, we are found to be false witnesses of God because we testified about God that he raised up Mashiach, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Mashiach has been raised. And if Mashiach has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also have those sleep out. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Mashiach have perished. Verse 19, if we have hoped in the Mashiach, in this life alone, we are to be pitied more than all people. But now, Mashiach has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, if you go back to my master plan class for Sephirat Ta'omer, which would be class five, um, before I started titling it uh, according to the parsha for the week. If you go through that master plan uh, class and it's on uh, the master plan book by Arya Carmel and it's chapter 47, speaking of Sephirah Omer, it talks about the Omer is a first fruit. So you have the first fruit on the 16th of Nisan. And you also have the festival of first fruits, which is Shavuot, which is where you bring the full blown wheat, the uh, the Hamet's offering. But that, again, is beyond the scope of this podcast. But I want to bring up that there's two first fruits and the first one, the first first <laughs> is on the 16th of the sun. And that is is corresponding to the resurrection of the Mashiach. And so much so to say that Hamotzi Lechem Min Haaretz, Min Haaretz, who brings forth bread from the earth through Mashiach Yeshua, like as we say in the Hamotzi Bracha, like this is why that is so important. Because if the Omer offering is not brought, the new grain harvest that sprouts up from the earth, if that's not brought, the food supply for the year for all of Israel 
is done. Like, there will be a famine that year, and you're probably going to starve, possibly to death. At least from the fact of if you're the agricultural farmer type person and you eat off of the land, you know, because that's how Israel survived through the land. So if the land doesn't produce for that year, then uh, we don't have anything. And the Medrash brings down that Hashem caused a miracle every year that the Omer was never, ever skipped during the, the standing of the first temple. Uh, I don't remember if it went into the second temple or not and what that was like during the exiles, but at least during the first temple period, the Omer was always brought. It was never missed. So, there's that. Uh, that is Parsha. Ooh, what Parsha is that? I feel like it's Parsha Teruma because it was talking about the showbread table. But I could be wrong, so I have to source that out and, and uh, post that on Insta. So it's been it's been amazing being able to post stuff on Instagram. By the way, just as a, a follow-up to the things that we talk about here on the podcast. So going on. So we have Corinthians 15.20 saying, the Mashiach being raised from the dead is the first fruit of those who've fallen asleep. So in other words, Mashiach is the not only the firstborn of all creation, but he's the firstborn of new creations. You know, the the whole understanding of when our bodies are placed in the earth, you know, from dust you were brought forth and to dust you shall return. When Hashem raises us up, and we're going to talk about this with the help of Hashem in the Messiah text about how we're going to be fashioned again from the earth um, because we're going to be made into one new man kind of thing, which obviously that Medrash and letters of uh, Shaul HaShliach, there's there's some allegory to it, but there's also some Peshat that the one new man literally means like the raised up from the earth, like the new creation that we will be but in the meantime the first body the first image of Hashem the this body that we have the first one that was raised up that is the Mashiach so he was raised up and eternally that that's him so no one has done that else or no one else has done that yet. There, there actually was a first resurrection, uh, after him. And this is from the writings of Matityahu, Matthew. And of course I did not make a note of it. So stand by. I got to go over here and pull this up. Dun, dun, dun. Crazy thing about notes is uh, you feel like you take enough and you write them down, but to no avail, they always escape you. So, I'm just going to go back here. Here we go, Brukashim. And this actually ties to a tractate in Talmud. But in Matthew 27, 52 and 53, it says, and the tombs were open, and many of the bodies of the Kedoshim, 
who were the holy ones, the righteous ones, or the, the pious ones, uh, who were sleeping were raised to life. Verse 53, and coming forth out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So this was a part of the Akeda of Yeshua that, you know, there was a great earthquake. The tombs were open. So basically with Yeshua being the first one to raise from the dead, obviously the tombs would have been open for three days and it would have been just like, uh, what, you know, like open graves going on and no movement, no activity. And then all of a sudden, Three days later, movement and the Kedoshim from past centuries are like walking around the holy city. Just like, hey, how's everybody doing? Haksameach, you know, again, this is Pesach. You know, we were talking about the Yiksor, right? And honoring our, our loved ones who've passed on before us and all that. You think about the yard sites, you know. So anyway, uh that happened. So here's what this is connected to. This is connected to a passage in Isaiah uh, 26, 19 says, yet it will be your dead will live. My corpses will rise awake and shout for joy. You who dwell in the dust, your dew is like the dew of the dawn. The land of dead souls will come to life. Why is that important? Because we learn from Shabbat 88, during the giving of the Torah from Mount Sinai, so Parsha Yitro, right? It says Hashem was speaking and with every utterance from his mouth, it caused the children of Israel to die and their souls ascend to the throne of glory and Hashem stops them and sends their souls back into their bodies. And it makes a note that Hashem used the dew of the resurrection to accomplish this. What is the significant prayer liturgy that happens on the second day of Pesach? This thing known as who causes the dew, you know, and the second bracha, no less, because we were just talking about that. The second blessing of the Shimon Esrei, of the Amidah, the standing prayer, we switch over from Mashiv Haruach Umorid HaGeshem, who makes the wind to blow and the rain to descend, and we switch over to talking about dew. Specifically on the first day of Pesach, uh, the liturgy for Musaf, there's a whole thing about dew, and then from Mencha forward, so you're still in the first day, but you're kind of at the end of the first day. Going into the second day, you're now no longer saying who makes the wind to blow and the rain to descend. Which is just incredible to correspond that to the resurrection. So it's like our prayers anticipate the second day of Pesach being resurrection. And that would have been the day that the the Kedoshim from past centuries would have raised up with Yeshua. And again, they appeared to many people. Now, what's so crazy is Matthew is the only gospel account that mentions that incident. 
So want to bring that up, right? So here is the commentary on that verse from Isaiah. It says, may your dead come to life. May my corpse arise. Earlier, Isaiah had spoken about the rejoicing that will occur when salvation arrives. Just a note, the word salvation is the word Yeshua. So when Yeshua arrives, it says, this is the rejoicing that will occur. Now he adds, not only will the living rejoice, but also the dead who will be brought back to life. And this is cited from the Da'at Sofrim. And it says, this verse is one of the scriptural sources for the belief in the revivification of the dead. See Sanhedrin 90b. So a lot going on there. But here's the other point. We have Ketubot 111b that says, Rabbi Yohanan said to Rabbi Eleazar, their master, i.e. God, is not pleased with that you say this of ordinary Jews. Rather, that verse is written about one who weakens himself and succumbs to idol worship. Those who commit this great sin do not merit to be resurrected in the future. Rabbi Eleazar said to him, I teach it from a different verse as it is written for your due is as the dew of light and the earth shall bring to life the shades. Isaiah 26, 19. Rabbi Eleazar explains anyone who uses the light of Torah, which is called the dew of light. The light of Torah will revive him and anyone who does not use the light of Torah, the light of Torah will not revive him. So we talk about the fact of Yeshua having the transfiguration, dazzling white and all this kind of stuff. But thinking about the different um, portrayals, if you will, of the resurrection of Yeshua, it's always like this. The stone is rolled away. This bright, bright light is emanating from him and from the tomb. And it's like he walks out in his pure white garment. It's like, where do you think that comes from? Because the dew that resurrects is the light of the Torah. So there's that. And I want to point out something from the Baal HaTurim uh, from Parsha Hukat. And uh, this is in uh, Bami Bar, Numbers chapter 19, verse 9, it says this, He shall gather, which is Ve'asaf, Ve'asaf. It says, He shall gather. The Masoretic note, Gimel, means that this word appears three times in the Tanakh. It appears here, Ve'asaf Ish Tahor, a pure man shall gather. The second appearance is Ve'asaf Ham Zorah, and the Metzorah shall gather. We got a Parashah Metzorah coming up in a few weeks, Rukashem. 
and it says that's from Second Kings five eleven, and the third appearance is Ve Asaf Nidche Yisrael, and he will gather the castaways of Yisrael. Isaiah eleven twelve. The similarity of the expression here and in Kings alludes to the Talmudic statement: A metzora is likened to a corpse. Okay, here we go. We got a dead person again. And it says, moreover, just as the ashes of the red cow impart purity, so too the prayers of the righteous impart purity. And the similarity of expression in the three verses also alludes to the time of Mashiach. And he will gather the castaways of Israel in the future at which time the Metzora shall gather, i.e., will be cursed. As it is written, then the lame man will skip like a gazelle, Isaiah 35, 6. And at that time, they will no longer need the ashes of the red cow, as it is written, he will have swallowed up death forever, Isaiah 25, 8. Now, Shaul also mentions the swallowing up death forever, which I believe is actually in this chapter 15, which, it, by the way, if you keep reading chapter 15, he actually talks about wheat. I just saw it. Uh, where was it? I was scrolling so fast. Mm, there it is. So chapter 15 of Corinthians, starting at verse 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? Verse 36, fool. That's harsh. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. As for what you sow, you're not sowing the body that will be but a bare seed maybe of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body just as he planned, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of humans, another flesh of animals, another of birds, and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one thing, while the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So keep going. Here it is in verse 54. 
But when this corruptible will have put on incorruptibility, i.e. through resurrection, this mortal will have put on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who keeps giving us the victory through Mashiach Yeshua. Therefore, my dearly loved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor is in the Lord is not in vain. Now, again, just a side note, because I know a hot word was hitting a hot word was hit that says the power of sin is the law. Now, we know that we just read. He said, excelling in the work of the Lord. So in other words, doing the mitzvot. So the mitzvot are a part of the law. They're a part of the Torah. The Torah is not just called law. The Torah is so many other things. There's not just the law. The Torah is, it's Hashem written down. It's the whole entire name of Hashem. So to just call it a law would be to denigrate it actually. The Torah is full of mitzvot, full of the commandments, right? But it it's deeper than that because we know the Torah is from an eternal source, from a heavenly source, and it had to arrange itself, as we talked about in previous episodes of Mashiach Mondays, in order to fit into our current reality. So really, when we're looking at the Torah, what we have now is is a mere shadow of what we're going to have in the time to come. And there's a whole section in the Messiah text called New Torah, and you can check that section out to get really more information on that. But I just want to point out there's no discrepancy with what Shaul is talking about. Why is that the case? Because in Romans, in the letter to Rome, Shaul tells us that there is another law. There's the law of sin and death. And that law is different from God's law, the Torah. So... There's a whole aspect of, you know, trying to look at the the two laws juxtaposed and uh, the the discrepancies between the two that are commonly mistaken. So may it be that we not mistake the Torah for something that causes us to sin. But the law of sin and death is what causes us to sin. And that is the fruit, pun intended, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We want it to be like Hashem, knowing the difference between good and evil. But the problem is we are very subjective and uh, we don't want to take truth from an objective standpoint. And it's only when we've been regenerated through the Torah, we've been regenerated by Hashem's spirit, by the Mashiach that we move away from the subjectivity towards being objective about the truth. But it is a constant struggle and it is a battle because we have the flesh and its desires, a.k.a. our animal soul, a.k.a. 
the Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination, which is what the Omer is supposed to counteract, as well as the matzah that we're eating this week. It is supposed to weaken our Yetzahara's negative traits. This is why we refrain from eating hummets for seven days, because we want to renew the Yetzahara, not for evil, not for just doing things that are outside the bounds of Torah, but to help it understand and be channeled through the Torah. Because the thing is, a lot of the things that the Yetzahara really um, pulls us into doing, we are supposed to be doing those things, but there's a way to do those things. So if you're a person who is, you just got to have your liquor, I guess, for lack of a better terms. Well, guess what? Get yourself a Kiddush cup and you start with the brakas, you know, and things like that that surround the cup and you walk in this balance of, you know, being filled with the spirit, but not being drunk with wine, you know, and not being a person of debauchery, you know, but you, you see how Judaism centers a lot of our, our uh, Yom Tovim, our significant events around cups of wine. We have um, alcoholic beverages at different festivals and things like that. And even in the book of Devarim, it tells us, you know, rejoice with strong drink for the festivals, you know, and it's just kind of like, okay. So anyway, you, you channel things. And obviously that varies from person to person because sometimes it's just better not even to get involved in things like that. Because if there's a history of alcohol abuse in your family, you know, and you know, I'm fine. I don't need to have alcohol. Well, guess what? There are prescriptions for that, that you bless Hashem with the Kiddush over grape juice. You know, the four cups of Pesach, you know, obviously it is recommended to have red wine. But again, if you're a person who that's too much of a temptation that could cause some issues, guess what? You get to have four cups of grape juice. So just saying that there's there's a whole lot to really talk about and before the the how how long has it been? I don't know since Christianity was created uh, around 300 something of the common era. It's just kind of like how long has this message gone out, you know, of confusing the Torah for something that causes people to sin? It's like, no, you know, it. it yeah, anyway. Torah doesn't cause us to sin. We sin because we want to. And if you really want to get uh sagical about it, yeah, that's right. I made up that word. Sagical. If you really want to know what the sages say, what do the sages say? They say that no one can come to sin unless a spirit of folly overcomes them. So, in other words, you have to be overcome by folly first in order to sin. Because in other words, and in other circumstances, we shouldn't be sinning because we know, like, why do that? That That's not even beneficial. If you really look at the the effects of sin and, and what it's all about, it's just like, why why am I doing this? Like, this is not helpful. This actually makes it worse for me, you know, kind of thing. 
And obviously, in the uh, Torah mind, sin can be overturned and be caught, become merits through Teshuvah. But that doesn't mean we just go out to sin so we can get more merit. You know, right? Shaul himself even says that. So should we sin that grace may abound? No. Which the Greek word that I, that just flashed into my head for the word that he used there is meganoitoi. You know, and I learned that from my Christian friends a long time ago. But um, Meganoitoi is like this very emphatic, like, no, just stop. Just don't. Anyway. So the footnote in the Bahaturim about this Mashiach who swallows up death and victory, corresponding with our Corinthians 15 passage, corresponding with. Pesach and the resurrection of the dead. Here's what it says. Footnote 20, which is on page 1585 of the Baal edition of the Humash for numbers. It says the ashes of the red cow serve only one purpose to cleanse the impurity brought about through contact with a corpse but in the days of the Mashiach, God will swallow up, i.e. destroy, the concept of death and its accompanying impurity. Which, by the way, is why sin will be eradicated. The spirit of impurity will be banished from the earth, as we say in the Right? So all that, uh, because the accompanying effects of death is sin. The other accompanying effect of death is chaos, anarchy, plagues and pandemics, and all sorts of tragedies that befall the world. Sicknesses, diseases. That is all the effects of death. So therefore, when death is destroyed, boom, there it is. So just a couple of things with the red cow. The red cow is known as the para aduma, which is the red heifer, uh, loosely translated, but literally the red cow. I was doing some gematria here. Here's what I found. Para aduma is the gematria of 335. Which is the gematria of Shela. Now here's a sneak preview of something coming up in the Mashiach Mondays from the Or HaChaim on uh, uh, Parsha Pinchas. So in this Parsha, there's a mention of an individual called Shela. And this is a name for the Mashiach, and it's related to Shiloh. Here's what Or Hakaim says. This is on Bamit Bar 26, verse 19, Numbers 26, 19. The reference to the Shelah is an allusion to the Redeemer who will redeem the Jewish people from their final exile. His name is called Shelah. Although when Yaakov blessed Yehuda on his deathbed, he called the name of the Mashiach Shiloh, 
which has the extra letter Yod, this detail does not change the name materially. And I'll leave it at that. So we talked about the Bahatorim saying this is a reference to the Mashiach who will destroy death. And here it is in the Gematria. Yeah, that's, this is Shiloh. Also, para, the word for cow, is the Gematria 285, which is the Gematria for Hanokri, which is the stranger. And isn't it interesting that the Mashiach is strange, that he is considered to be not known by his brothers? Just a little note from the Pesach Seder that uh, happened at our table in particular. We were talking about the Arizal Seder plate that the matzot are hidden underneath the elements of the Seder. And I was just like, isn't it amazing that the elements of the Seder plate have a foundation and the bread that was pierced the bread of our affliction you know the one who said take eat this is my body which is broken for you that's underneath the elements of the seder which bring us out of mitzrayim by the way you realize all those items that we eat commemorate what hashem told us you are to eat the pesach with bitter herbs and eat it in haste because it's time to go so when we're partaking of the Seder plate, we're remembering Hashem is getting ready to bring us out of exile. And again, Shiloh, we talked about brings us out of exile, right? And this is all connected to the Para Aduma, which is connected to the stranger, the one who's not known, not recognized. So I said to the table, thinking about this, isn't it interesting that all of what we do in Torah and Judaism, it has its foundation on the one who is hidden. Because we know that Mashiach is the, the root soul of all the souls of Israel. So whether or not all of Israel recognizes the Mashiach, he is our life force. All of our mitzvot and all of our atonements and, and everything that's happening, it, that's our foundation. This is why what the rabbis know about the Messiah in the preface or in the first chapter was saying, the cornerstone of Jewish thought in antiquity is the Mashiach ben Yosef. And the thing is, the Mashiach ben Yosef is not recognized widely and popularly by all of Yiddishkeit. But that doesn't nullify him. That doesn't stop the effect or the result of him being offered. Because we know the lamb, the lamb was slain before the foundations. So, yeah. Because I'm just thinking about the ram now. Because the ram is a supernatural ram that existed before creation, but was brought forth into creation on Arab Shabbat. So you have the lamb that's already slain and it's brought forth into creation 
to be offered up. So you already have a sacrificed, a, a pierced, and a slaughtered lamb, ram here, that's going to be put on the altar. And this is the significance of the Mashiach, Yeshua, that he was already considered to be offered up before he was born. So, you know, all of the the incense and the spices that were brought to him as a baby, you know, were so telling of his future demise, which is just intense. So anyway, we're going to keep it moving here. Let's get into the Messiah text. Let's wrap it up. So we're going to be speaking, obviously, from the chapter on resurrection in the Messiah text. Chapter 21 Page 197. Next text, or next follows the great universal miracle of resurrection. Footnote. The best study of resurrection in Jewish tradition is still that of Lowinger, which is a text called Die Afrustehung in der Judischen Tradition. Wow, that is super German. I don't know if I said that right, but the footnote on page 187 just tells you the source right there. So if you want to learn about resurrection from Jewish sources and Jewish tradition, there you go. It's in German, so I don't know if there's an English copy of it. It says the idea, of course, goes back to Ezekiel's grandiose vision of the dry bones. So, Tekia Atomic Team. The resurrection of the dead, the source of it, among many places, because we learn Pirkei Rebbe Eliezer uh, and the Akedah, Genesis 22. Now we're sourcing out the resurrection of the dead from Ezekiel's account of the Valley of Dry Bones, which Chazal tell us that those bones are the bones of the tribe of Ephraim, that left Mitzrayim too early and were actually slaughtered by the Philistines. So the crazy part about it is when the Valley of Dry Bones was resurrected, these were the ones who came into Babylon during the time that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, commonly known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they were thrown in the furnace. And so this wind blew forth and brought these bones to life and carried them over to Babylon. And they all came and just laid the smackdown, pun intended, on uh, the king of Babylon. So, so yeah. So you got the bones of the sons of Yosef. Because, you know, Ephraim, right? Ephraim and Manasseh. Um, Ephraim is the son of Yosef. So the bones of Ben Yosef is the source of resurrection. When we left Mitzrayim during Pesach, what did we have to take with us? The bones of Yosef. And the commentary on the bones of Yosef say, don't read it bones, but read it essence. So the essence of Yosef had to go with us. 
and the bones were wherever they were and they had to literally be raised up so that they can be brought out. So in order for Yisrael to be freed and brought out of Mitzrayim, it took the essence and it took the bones of Yosef to lead us out. So again, firstborn of, or the first fruit, I should say, of those who were raised up. Even the bones of Yosef were first to lead us out of Mitzrayim. Even the bones of the tribe of Ephraim were first to raise up and infiltrate the exile of Babylon and really uh, enact, you know, the will of Hashem. So no different with Yeshua ben Yosef being raised up and enacting the will of Hashem. The other thing I wanted to mention is that Yeshua was with us for 40 days before his ascension, which was the 40th day of the Omer. So just a little uh, note to keep in mind as we're counting the Omer, we're literally counting up to Mashiach Yeshua's ascension. So all of that to say, Ezekiel, however, had no messianic idea in mind. I just skipped a whole section. Let's go back. So the dry bones says, which prophecy of resurrection is contemporary with the resurrection or with the destruction of the first temple of Jerusalem in 586 BCE? That's interesting. So the prophecy of resurrection is contemporary with the destruction of the first temple. So the resurrection coincides with the destruction of the temple. Okay, because because did not Yeshua say tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days? And he was literally speaking about resurrecting his bones. Okay, so Ezekiel, however, had no messianic idea in mind. The purpose of his prophecy was theological, political, psychological. He wanted to implant belief, the belief and a speedily return to their own land and to the hearts of the despairing Judean exiles in Babylonia. In the rabbinic version, resurrection becomes a messianic miracle. Resurrection becomes a messianic miracle. Yeah. The diachronic counterpart of the synchronic ingathering of the exiles. So, this is just ridiculous. The resurrection through the Mashiach coincides with the ingathering of the exiles. Okay. Because we totally just read that over here in Bahaturim. He will gather in the dispersed of Israel. <laughs> swallow up death. And, okay. All right. All right. This, this is crazy. It's too much. Okay. That's okay. But it's going to be too much because where we're headed, the final redemption is literally too much. Like, 
just wow. We need redemption, y'all. We need to get out of exile. It needs to end now. Mashiach now. Mashiach now. Mashiach now. Bring in Mashem. Okay. So, next sentence. What it achieves is a bringing together of all the people from the whole world whether they lived in the past or will live at a time or at the time of the Mashiach's advent. The earliest mention of a future resurrection is found in the Apocrypha in 2 Maccabees. So the Messiah text is like, you know what, you want to you learn about resurrection? Read 2 Maccabees. All right, here we go. Random drops. The question, this is page 198, the question of who will and who will not be resurrected in the Messianic days and the related question of who will and who will not be tried on the great day of the last judgment, see chapter 27. This has occupied the minds of rabbis for whom these issues were of concrete import. Let's jump over to page 199. Ta'anit 2a. Rabbi Yochanan said three keys are in the hand of the Holy One. Blessed be he. That means these keys are in the hand of Hashem. So therefore, Hashem's hand is accomplishing whatever these keys are all about. It says, and they have not been entrusted to the hand of an emissary. They are the key of rains. So when Yeshua comes, the wind and the waves. Because there's a lot of rain going on there. And it says, and the key of birth. Okay. So not that Yeshua was causing people to be fertile and things like that. But I do think it's important to mention that Miriam uh, was given uh, a virgin birth, like without knowing a man. Uh, and then it says, and the key. So, yeah, just the notion of he caused his own birth, like. OK, did not Hashem do that for Yitzhak? Again, we talked about the similarity Abraham, Hashem, Yitzhak, Yeshua, right? So how was Yitzhak born? Hashem's power came upon Sarah to make her conceive. Why is it so weird to think Hashem's power came upon Miriam to make her conceive? Hashem caused Yitzhak to be born. Hashem caused Yeshua to be born. Anyway, and it says the key of the resurrection of the dead. So did not Yeshua raise Lazarus? But here's the point that we want to note. That Yeshua had, let's, let's read it. Let's just read it. What is that? Is that, I think it's John 11. Cause I always get it confused whether it's Matthew 11 or John 11, but I'm going to go with John 11 first. Around 28. Because Yeshua does something very significant. Number one, he 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 weeps. So um, 
So Yeshua says, roll away the stone. This is verse 39. Martha, the dead man's sister, said to him, Master, by this time he stinks. He's been dead for four days. Verse 40, Yeshua says to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they rolled away the stone. She said, okay, fine. I want to see the glory of God. Let's do this. So they rolled away the stone. Yeshua lifted up his eyes and said, Abba, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But because of this crowd standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Eliezer, Bo. Eliezer, come out. So if Yeshua is this, this seemingly holy vigilante, he's his own God, you know, their Trinitarian member over here. Um, why did he have to stop and connect with his father first? Why did he have to reinforce the oneness that he represents before he did anything. This is the understanding of the Sephirot. When you look at the Sephir of Malkut, in order for Malkut to emanate, it has to receive from all the other Sephirot first. So what am I saying? In order for the resurrection to flow through Yeshua, it had to come from the hand of the Holy One, blessed is he, which we just read from Tani 2a, this is not entrusted to an emissary. So Yeshua says, don't you believe that I'm in the father? I and my father are one. So there we go. In order for him to resurrect the dead, he had to be the extension of the hand of the Holy One. Blessed is he. All right. We have Ketubot 111b, which we read earlier. Rabbi Bar Yosef said, in the future, the pious will sprout up and emerge in Yerushalayim. As it is said, they will blossom out of the city like grass of the earth. Psalm 72, 16. And they will rise up in their garments as can be concluded from the wheat. If the wheat, which is buried naked, rises in several clothes, how much more so the pious who are buried in their clothes continues to escalate. This is from page 201 in the Messiah text. The Milchamot Melech HaMashiach 6, 119. Each saintly person will come back to life as he was when he passed from the world. He who was blind will come back blind in his resurrection. He who had he who was lame come back comes back lame. Thus all the afflicted, so that each of them should recognize his fellow man, and that they should not say, These are different creatures, and thereafter the Holy One, blessed be he, will heal them. So there's going to be mass healings going on, just like there were when Yeshua was here. 
he was healing everybody and everything. It's like, okay, you got this going on. Okay, I heal you, you know. Anyway, jump over here to. Ah, this is what I wanted to read. No, that's not it. I want to read the one about the dust of the earth. Mm -mm -mm. I think it's in here somewhere, but I'm going to. I'm just going to read this page real quick. Page 209, because I definitely have it tabbed. It says, And thereafter, four nations will come from the four winds of the world, and they are the children of Mascaria from one wind, the children of Shabur from one wind, the children of Patros from one wind, and the children of Ethiopia and Maragesh from one wind. And they will wage war against the other and will slay one another. And there will fall all of them more than 200,000 slain. In that hour, they will say to one another, why should we wage war? Come, let us be reconciled. And he who is victorious, let him be king over us and let all of us serve him. In that hour, Mashiach will come out of the jailhouse with his staff and his bag, and he will come to them and say to them, let me meet you face to face. Side note, Mashiach Yeshua comes to these nations and is like, let me meet you face to face. In that hour, they will say one to the other, with what will this one defeat us? His appearance is not like other people. His looks are not like other people. And he has no army like other people. While we have riches, have armies, are warriors, are sons of kings, and this one. With what will he defeat us? And they will say to him, if you can defeat me, I and all Israel will be your servants. When they hear this, because of their great desire to subjugate Israel, each of them says, say what you have to say. The Mashiach then says to them, I have but a small thing to say. Wow. The Mashiach then says to them, I have but a small thing to say. Not a big one. He who brings all these slain men back to life. Let him be king over us. Instantly they fall silent and have no mouth to speak. And that hour the Mashiach stands up and wraps himself in prayer and guards himself like a hero before him who spoke and the world was and says before him, Master of all the worlds, remember my sorrow and my sighs, the darkness and the gloom in which I dwelt, my two eyes which saw no light, my ears which have heard great disgrace. I cried over myself, and my heart broke in me, and my strength became feeble in sorrow and sighs. It is revealed and known before you 
that I did not do all this for my honor? Nor for the honor of my father's house, but I did it for your honor, for the sake of your nation and your sanctuary and your children who are caught in suffering among the nations of the world. And that our, those 200,000 men rise up on their feet and say, we are Israel, we are Israel. And that hour the Mashiach says to them, go and gather all your brethren from the nations. And they go and gather all Israel and bring them and set them before Mashiach. So the great end gathering, right? And then I want to conclude with this. Zohar 1, 69a. Come, see, at that time when the Holy One blesses, he prepares to resurrect the dead. He will create bodies for all those dead who will be found abroad in the other lands or in foreign lands as it is suitable for one born or for one bone remains of man under the earth that bone will become like the leaven and dough and upon it the holy one blessed be he will build the whole body but the holy one blessed be he will not give them souls except in the land of Israel, where all of them will receive souls, except for those who had defiled themselves and defiled the earth. Zohar, Volume 169a. And the dust of the earth. Oh, this is interesting. And the Holy One, blessed be he, this page 203, stands and arranges the order of those who walk in the world of the righteous and of the kings and the generous ones, each and of each and every soul. And he causes Enoch, who is Memtet, to descend, and also the holy beasts who are under the throne of glory. Okay. And he brings up Korach and all his assembly, and makes them stand on their feet and says to them, Have you seen any other God except me? In the heavens above and the earth below. And they say, Who is God save the Lord? Psalms 18.32 Thank you, Hashem. Here's what I was looking for. This is page 203. It's the next entry. It says, In the future to come, the Holy One, blessed be He, will bring dust of the earth and dust of the dead and mixes them together and puts it into skin and flesh and sinews and bones. And the angel in charge of souls comes and infuses souls into them. And then they enter the house of study 
where Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov sit before him, the king of Israel and Yehuda behind him, and David at the head. So I believe it's the Pesikta or Pesquita, Hadta BHM 647. And again, this is Messiah text page 203. Well, that is a lot of uh, sources for tonight about resurrection and Pesach and things like that. So thank you for joining me. And I'm so excited about Pesach this week. And it's beautiful to think about the resurrection. And I pray that we see the resurrection in our lifetimes and in our days, if not this week. And Bezrat Hashem, this exile is coming to an end sooner than later and we'll be in the new Yerushalayim and we'll be studying Torah uh, together, you know, and just basking in Hashem's light that he will cast for us. So do the mitzvot, eat the matzah, count your omer, Baruch Hashem. May we all become born again, new creations, worthy of the Torah. May we all receive the Torah new this upcoming Shavuot. And Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai, Mashiach now.